This is Driven Forward, Influential Leaders Powered by God's Will, hosted by me, Jordan Johnstone. On this podcast, you will get a front row seat to aspirational life stories of leaders from a wide variety of workplaces. Each month, I'll interview a leader and get them to share their story from the beginning. Where did they come from? How did they start down the road of their career and leadership journey? And now, looking back, where do they see God and His will along the way? Driven Forward is a podcast by Forward. That's the number four, W-O-R-D. We are a global nonprofit organization started in 2011 to give professional Christian women a place to not feel alone. At the time of this recording, we are beginning our next decade in which we have set an organization-wide goal to empower 10 million Christian women in the workplace to change the world by 2030. And what better way to empower than to share examples of real leaders making real change in the world? What if you could be an influential leader? Imagine what your life would look like if it was powered by God's will. The good news is that you can be an influential leader and your life can be powered by the will of God. How do we know that? Because we've got some incredible stories of people just like you who've done it. So let's get the show on the road. Our first leader is someone near and dear to Forward. In fact, she's the one who started it all. Diane Pattison is a Harvard MBA, former global executive of two Fortune 500 companies and one Fortune 1000 company, and serves as an independent director for two corporate and four not-for-profit boards. Anyone who meets Diane immediately picks up on her passion, her heart, and her sincerity, traits that have helped her since she was working on her family farm in Oregon. So join me as I sit down with Diane, and let's learn about what has driven her forward in life. Okay, so the first question, what do you remember most about your childhood? Like when you think back on being a child, like what, what's one of the first things that comes to your mind? Yeah, growing up on a farm in Harrisburg, Oregon, I remember two key things about my upbringing that I didn't really realize was a lot different than a lot of people until I left the farm in Oregon. Mm. And that was hard work. And I worked with my family every day. So my grandpa, my grandma, my mom, my dad, my siblings, even my cousins, and my lifelong friends were uh, a part of the farm labor force. So those are two things that um, I'll never forget is just the hard work and that it was a big family business that we all worked together. Hmm. It was was very interesting. And then I'll just tell you one other little tidbit is that um, I went to a four-room schoolhouse. So there were eight and four rooms. And when I tell my kids and they see that, they just kind of like, man, you are ancient. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they just saw Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) but I mean, that's, that's pretty cool though. And is it because, I mean, you were in a pretty small town, right? I mean, like what was, what was it like where you grew up? 
Yeah. So the town was actually 1,200 people, but there oh, wow. were little country schools for the grade school that consolidated into the high school. So my graduating class of eighth grade were 13. My graduating class at high school was 48. So that kind of wow. gives you a sense of the size. And then, you know, the other thing that I thought about when I thought about the question of, you know, what did it look like where you grew up? What was it like? And um, I love the mountains. And again, I didn't realize that the whole world didn't look like the house I grew up in looking out at the Cascade Mountains um, every morning when I woke up in the morning until I actually left Oregon because I really hadn't been out of the state until, you know, late in my high school years. And I have a real love for looking at those mountains, as you know, Jordan, because you've oh, been yeah. to my house in Portland, Oregon. So we now look at the mountains from our house in Portland. Mm. They are gorgeous. I love that area. <laughs> so I would love to know how early in your life were religion and faith introduced to you and who introduced you? Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like you grow up and you learn how to eat. You know, I grew up and all I remember is every Sunday we went to church. I mean, we went to Sunday school and I was involved with vacation Bible school. I was involved with youth group. My dad taught youth group for high school. And so it was just a part of our life. It was never even questioned unless you were sick mm. that we weren't going to go to church on Sunday. And that was just a part of even all of my relatives' lives. Um, so faith was brought to me as I grew up from my parents from the beginning. Hmm, that's awesome. Yeah. What did, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you got asked that question as a little girl, what, what did you say? Yeah. So the funny thing is, because I grew up in that little town and that farm environment, um, I really only knew a few things. I really knew farming. I knew sewing because I was involved with 4-H. Um, and so I sewed all my clothes clear through high school. Um, and I also knew, um, I just knew about uh animals. So I knew about being a veterinarian. Um, and I really thought because I really enjoyed sewing and fashion and I did well in it, I won this national grain sewing contest that I thought I would want to be in fashion merchandising. Wow. So when you graduated and you went off to college, I mean, was that, was that your, your first goal, your first major that you were going after? Yeah. So I went to Oregon State and my major was fashion merchandising with a minor in business. So when you got to school, you started getting into your major. Um, did you, I guess at what point, because I know, I, or did you graduate with that? Maybe I just don't know it, but is that what you ended up graduating with a degree in or did it switch at some point? Yeah. So I had always worked for my dad I was sort of his right-hand man every summer on the farm. And so I never really had a chance to work in fashion merchandising. But between my junior and senior year, I said, Dad, I've got to go see if what I've been studying for three years is what I want to do. 
So I actually live with my best friend's parents and worked in fashion merchandising that, that summer and realized I did not like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little cutthroat. Um, and I thought I really love the business side, but I really don't like the fashion side. And I was very discouraged because I had paid my way through school and, you know, scholarships and all this. And I went back to school and two of my dear friends who are still dear friends to this day, John Sterick, who was a year younger than me, and Dan Boyden, who's a year older than me. And I said, guys, I have just wasted three years of college and three years of college tuition money. And um, you know, what should I do? And they said, apply to Harvard Business School. And I had no clue what they were talking about <laughs> to get your MBA. And I just believe, believed them. So I went home and typed up my little application on my typewriter and asked my parents to throw it in the mail for me. And um, I found out a few months later that I'd been admitted to Harvard Business School to get my MBA. And that was what really changed my trajectory to the business world. And then, I mean, at that time, how many other women were in school with you? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it was really funny when I went back to, um, they had a 50th um, for women who'd gone to Harvard Business School. And they had a group of us stand up who were in the first 20 years. And I couldn't believe that I was in the first 20 years of Harvard having women. Wow. So yeah, isn't that crazy? I graduated wow. in 1985 and I was in the first 20 years. Wow. They had uh, the first women that went there were right after the mid sixties. And I believe my class had about 25% women, which was pretty good for only being within the first 20 years, but still Harvard had a long way to go. <laughs> so you, you get your MBA and you're, you're about ready to start your business career. When you went into it, I mean, what did you imagine your career would look like? And did it actually end up starting off the way that you thought that it would? Yeah. You know, it was um, what was really wonderful is IBM was such a great company. And a lot of companies that I went to um, for my interviews out of Oregon State said, well, if you're going to leave in two years and go to Harvard Business School, you know, we're really not interested. But IBM said, we are so interested. Please move to New Jersey. We'd like to have you at the headquarters of one of our divisions, and we'll give you like five different experiences in two years so that when you go to Harvard Business School, you have a great background to um, sort of have as your knowledge before you go. So after I graduated from Harvard Business School, I really followed my priorities. And I was married to a gentleman from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I moved to Tulsa out of Harvard Business School. And as you can imagine, most of my classmates thought I had a big L in the middle of my forehead because they would ask me, where are you moving? You know, a lot of them were going to New York or L.A. or London. Where are you moving and who are you going to work for? And I said, well, 
I'm moving to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I actually don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> wow. But fortunately, I found a job with um, Ernst & Young and moved into their consulting practice when I got to Tulsa. Awesome. So what role did you imagine your future family would play in your life? I mean, when you're at Harvard Business School and, you know, just in college in general, and you're thinking about the future, you know, where did you see family in your life? And then would you say that reality met your expectations? Yeah. Well, I would say there was there was a big bump along the road, which I'll share a little bit later. But, um, you know, when I look at my life today and the, the marriage I have with Chris, our blended family with four grown adult children, and now two amazing granddaughters. I mean, it totally has surpassed my expectations of what my family would be like. But I do know it takes a lot of hard work, and a lot of times there are bumps in the road. What is one word that you would use to describe your career journey? Fulfilling. That's a good one. (laughs) So what was the point in your career where you look back and you go, yes, that that's where I made it? You know, from a worldly perspective, I thought that when I became uh, the COO of Trammell Crow Company, which is a Fortune 500, and then I became uh, in a on the global executive team of Trammell Crow and CBRE once they purchased us, which is a Fortune 500, and then also Prologis with the Fortune 500, I thought that that was uh, the pinnacle that I that, that I really thought I had made it. But now I'm in the most fulfilling from a total spiritual relational. Um, and professional perspective after founding forward um, because I received texts and I'll just read one I just got day before yesterday. Um, This text said, good morning, Diane. Thank you for everything you do to bring God into the world of work and for all that you do to support the women of forward. Forward is a blessing to all of us. Mm. And that's what fulfills me is when I know that the work that I've been called to do now is actually changing people's lives in a major way. Next time on Driven Forward, Diane shares about when she felt the most out of water, if she's ever doubted where God led her in life, and how she hopes people will remember her. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. If you want to learn more about Diane and Forward, you can visit forwardwomen.org slash podcast. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N dot org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.